chapter verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. This is not an expository message. It's more topical. We're going to be talking about the importance of the church. And speaking about the church, let's look at this passage. Jesus is um, asking a question to his disciples. Let's actually begin in verse 13. Uh, Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you think I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter himself, but we believe that confession that he gives of the Lord Jesus, upon that confession of Christ the Savior, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. You should write that down as the theme of what we're talking about this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you that this day around this world of ours, yours, you're calling a people to yourself. There are people who have worshipped you in all places of our world, on all continents, all kinds of situations, in very humble villages, and in large congregations of thousands of people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are doing an awesome work in our world or taking a people out that will be the forever family that will one day be gathered in heaven from all nations and tribes and languages. Father, we're thankful that we can be part of that. Help us not to take it for granted. So as we look at the scriptures and these admonitions you've given to me, help us to be encouraged in our world that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Encourage our hearts, I pray, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The believers... That make up our world. Some of you are from very small villages and you come here to SIBBC and you come to this and it's a little bit unreal. I always think this is kind of like heaven on earth. Heaven's going to be a mixture of all the peoples from our different tribes and villages of our world singing his praises. Just an evidence that the fulfillment is going on. Maybe you become a little bit discouraged in your village. You think, well, there's not many people in my church or the people that are here. We, 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 we need a better pastor. We need more preaching. We need people to be and burdens upon their heart to go back into those villages. But may I encourage you this evening that there is no small place in God's world. Whether your village is 100 people and the church makes up 20 people or five people or 40 people or 100 people or whatever... Don't despise the day of small things. God looks upon that church as part of the larger uh, family of God all around our church, all around our world. But the smile of God is upon their face and people are being saved. And those believers there in Dominican Republic, as I was with them a couple of weeks ago, were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just like many of you, having made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, being part of a local assembly of believers, reaching their country for Christ... God is doing a wonderful work in our world, and you're part of that. Pray for your village. Pray for your home church. Pray for that group of churches that may be in some of you, the states that you are in. In our class, we pray through India. Every day in class, as we begin our class hour, we pray for the needs of a particular state in India. And so we know that there are many, many people that do not know Christ in this huge country of a billion people. 
Lord, are you really building your church? Christ is building his church in India. We do not believe that everyone in India will be in heaven one day, do we? We do not believe in universalism. Everyone will not be saved. Everyone will not be part of God's eternal family. But we certainly desire that more and more people will hear the gospel. There in your village, there are people that need to be saved. Maybe you have parents that are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Ryrie said it this way in his book, Basic Theology About the Church. The importance of the church can scarcely be overstated. It is that which God purchased with the blood of his own son. It is that which Christ loves, nourishes, and cherishes, which he shall present to himself blameless in all her glory one day. Building his church constitutes Christ's principal work in the world today. The giving of his spiritual gifts as given in Ephesians 4, 12, uh, to pastors and those teachers and the equipping of the body of Christ exercise and the exercising of those gifts by believers aligns us with what Christ is doing today. Your church is no small part of God's program. He is building his church and he wants to use you in some specific way. Pastor's wife, a pastor, evangelist, Sunday school teacher, a leader among the ladies in the Christian school, so many ways. Across Europe, where many of the missionaries came from in the 1800s, Europe has become a mission field, one of the greatest mission fields. America, someone has said, is the largest English-speaking mission field in the world. Will there be biblical assemblies of believers that have the true faith when we see this falling away in some place? Are we ready to meet the challenge of this century of unbelievers and the mindset that many people in our world have that are so needy for Christ and yet they drown in their own philosophies away from God in their relativism in their tolerance in their pluralism everything is okay you can believe everything universalism and the darkened depravity of men's minds the world does not think that the church is anything more than a beautiful piece of architecture and the people who came to India the British and others built beautiful structures of buildings that you may be able to visit places in India that are mainly just a building architecture a museum of the past and there are places throughout Europe and London and Paris that I've seen some of the beautiful cathedrals of our world but God's not into just building a building he's building a living organism the church the church is only used three times in the gospels two of them are here in the passages here in Matthew and over 113 times throughout the New Testament so I wrote down first of all that the church has a supernaturally resurrected Lord in a saviorless world the church has a supernaturally resurrected Lord now if we could find the birthplace of Gautama Buddha he's buried there he's still there if we could find the birthplace of where, or, or where the burial place of where Muhammad is, he is still there. Or other religious leaders of the major world religions. But the church has a living Savior. We believe that. We believe that he rose again the third day. He was not just a man. He was not just a moral teacher. He was the Son of God. It says in Acts, the 28th chapter, as Paul is ending his missionary journeys, heading toward Jerusalem. He's talking to the elders from Ephesus you want to turn there, Matthew, the 20th chapter, quickly. Acts 20 and verse 28. He's talking to the elders that have walked several kilometers to come and see him for the last time. And he is warning these spiritual leaders of the local assembly, the church, about what's going to happen in the future. And he talks about this church that 
Christ's building was purchased and redeemed by his own blood. That's how important it is. Paul says in Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. First, pastors take care of themselves to walk honestly before God. Secondly, as they minister to the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. That's why pastors are raised up. Some of you may have that call and burden upon your life that you want one day to be an evangelist or a pastor and you will feed the church of God. Christ is building his church and he uses us as he told Peter, Peter, you're not finished. You love me. That's what you've just said. So go and feed my sheep, Um, help my sheep, feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church is very important. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, never underestimate the great importance of the church. The church is important to God the Father because his name is on it, the church of God. It is important to the Son because he shed his blood for it. And it's important to the Holy Spirit because he is calling and equipping people to minister to the church. I'm going to build my church. And so Christ purchased and redeemed us by his blood there on the cross. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to scriptures. Later when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church that was in Ephesus, he says in the first chapter, Christ is the head of the church, his body. Later when he writes to Colossians Uh, 1 verse 18, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. He's going to build the church and he is the head that we are to worship. He is also called the chief cornerstone. He compares the church to a building and the apostles make up the foundation. And we as believers are living stones in that illustration. Another pastor said it this way. There are many metaphors used in the scripture to describe the church It's called a family. The church is called a kingdom or a vineyard or a flock, a building and a bride, the bride of Christ. But the most profound metaphor, one having no Old Testament equivalent, is that of a body. The church is a body and Christ is the head of that body. This concept is is not used in the sense of the head of a company, but rather looks at the church as a living organism inseparably tied together by the living Christ. There's no small church. There's no small village where Christ is saving people. And that local assembly of believers as part of that uh, group of people from around the world that identifies ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. He controls every part of it and gives life and direction to those that are part of it. His life is then lived out through all the members as they provide unity He energizes the body of Christ and coordinates the diversity within the body. He directs the body's mutuality as individual members serve and support each other. It's just been my privilege and it is your privilege because you're meeting other young people and believers from other parts of India and know that, wow, you mean God is saving people up there in Gujarat? God is saving people over there in that particular state in India? Yes, he is. That is his church. Another pastor said it this way, the doctrine of the church, and some of you probably have studied that or will, the doctrine of the church ought to tell us that we are part of the grandest institution 
the universe has ever known. Now, the world doesn't believe that, but we do. It is the grandest institution the universe has ever known. And we are tragically diminished if we do not participate in Christ's body. Correspondingly, the church is diminished if you do not participate in that church. We need the church. You need the church. You need that local assembly of believers. Christ is that only sure foundation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we build our hopes and our joys on that foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. The song goes, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endured. Beautiful, beautiful song. But the world in which we live does not believe these things. We live in a world that has no Savior. We have a Savior, a living Savior. And the world continues to build its hopes and dreams on things that will only pass away. It is said that in India, a quarter of the population are middle class. They're having more money, more things. They now can worship things that they can buy. So it's not only the West that have things. And China is the same way. So those things will eventually rust and decay. And they pin all their hopes on their work and their education and the accumulation of things. They do not know God. Men's greatest achievements will ruin and each civilization will crumble. The people of our world are without hope and they're in need of redemption. And to see assemblies of believers gathered, there is a church and there is a church and there is a church. Christ is building his church. And he wants to use you. But the danger for the church is that we take for granted this Lord that has bought us with his blood. We take for granted his salvation. We forget to be grateful for his grace. And we forget how needy our world really is for this vital soul-saving message. The church also is a bastion or a fortress of absolute truth in our world. And that's where some of the conflict comes with the relativistic worldview that's all around us. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we go out into our world with a book that we believe is the message of the cross, a message of salvation for this world. And though the church may be a small, insignificant entity within our world, it is a powerful force. And we have the power of the word of God to preach the word of God. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, Paul would tell Timothy. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharper and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I don't go out just with my message. I go out with, thus saith the Lord. I've been reading through the Old Testament and often the prophets would say this, thus saith the Lord. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So you go back to your village. It's not what you have learned at SIBBC. It's not listen to me. We go back into our world, whether it's in China or in Africa or any other place in our world, into the smallest village, into your family, among your relatives. This is what God says. And we have the honor and the privilege and tremendous responsibility of preaching and presenting the word of God. 
The challenge for us is that we become doers, that we obey God's word, not just that we have it up here in our minds. That's the problem with Bible school sometimes. We have all the theory and all the theology, but we have to practice our Christianity. Sometimes we become practicing atheists in our neglect of the word of God. Amazing that Dr. Charing would share about a lady that could read all the way through the Bible in 21 days. She must not have done anything else other than read 24 hours a day. Uh, I've tried to read the Bible every year, but that means you read at least three chapters every day and maybe five on Sunday. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So our world, they need to hear about this book. And the church has been given this book, not just to hold to ourselves, but to bear forth that message out into our world. I don't think it's God's purpose that we have everything memorized and categorized and theologized or whatever if it's no practical outreach into our village, into the place where our families know the word of God. David Doran, pastors in Michigan, he said this, the primacy of the local church as the pillar and support of the truth in this dispensation means that it carries the burden of preserving and perpetuating biblical Christianity. And that's our responsibility out into the world. We have no other message than what the Lord Jesus Christ has given us in our world. But the world does not like that absolute truth. They would deny that there is any absolute truth on your college campuses and universities where they have accepted radical cultural relativism, non-judgmentalism, postmodern conviction that there are no moral norms and truth worth defending. You can basically think what you want and do what you want. And here we come and say, no, thus saith the Lord. So we wind up being a minority in this huge world in which we live. The danger we face as the church in this century is that God's word is no longer relevant in our own lives. And if the church where God has not only saved us, and given us hope in him and given us his word, if the word of God is not relevant in our own lives, then how can we preach it out into a world that's lost? We hide it instead of being proactive in our world and reaching out with the word of God. Thank God for the students from this school that went out this summer. Uh, We were praying for many of you. Maybe some of you are here that are representative of that. And people say, oh, there's persecution in India and there's problems in, in, in India. But you encourage the faith of others. No, we don't hide God's word. Let's go out and tell somebody about what God is doing. Lastly, you know the stories that Jesus gives uh, in Matthew, that the church itself is on a narrow road. And uh, people would say, well, that's the problem. You're on this narrow road. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, he talks about those two ways, the broad way and the narrow way. Christ said, I will build my church. Does that mean he's unsuccessful? No. But again, not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will accept the truth and stand in the faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And the world backs away and says, no, 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 no. I mean, we live in Asia, and our religion in Asia says we have to be inclusivistic. We have to include everyone. In India, we have 30 million gods and goddesses, and we'll add Jesus if you want. So we include, but Christianity, you're trying to exclude. You're trying to say Jesus is only one way? Oh, no, we can't believe that. Well, there you have it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. 
And so the danger we face in our century is that we often lack boldness in the light of this spiritual darkness and rejection of the truth and rejection of Jesus. And Jesus experienced it even in his day. Jesus would tell his own disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It was not easy for Jesus to do what he did, but there on the cross, he died for your sins and mine. And he said, it is finished. He accomplished that task. And he is building his church in our world. We need to ask forgiveness for our powerlessness, our inability to communicate the message of salvation in understandable terms to a postmodern, post-Christian error. The world around us has little or no knowledge of the Bible and its demands. Maybe we should study apologetics more. Maybe we should study the power of the Holy Spirit more to know how to walk out into our world and defend our faith and proclaim our faith unashamedly. Christ is building his church and I'm part of it and I'm unashamed and thus saith the Lord. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now there are places in our world where it seems a whole village has come to Christ. Another area there would be one that would trust Christ. In another area maybe many would trust Christ. That's okay. The Lord would tell the disciples, I want to make you fishers of men. And the harvest not, is not always the same. If your mother comes to Christ... That is wonderful. If your parents come to Christ, that is wonderful. If some of your relatives, some of the people in your village come to Christ, that's wonderful. You may not reach all of Myanmar. You may not reach all the states of India. But one by one, God is gathering a people out to himself to be with him one day in heaven forever. We, the church, must point men to Christ and proclaim his salvation. How wonderful that the church is a light in a dark world. A light in the dark world. We live in a very dark world spiritually. And we need to have wisdom to know how can I shine the light of God's word into the dark hearts of people that do not know Christ as Savior. Paul says, I want you to be as blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. In a dark world, that's our responsibility. You go back to your village with the light and life of Christ that's transformed you. Paul was writing to the Philippian Christians and they were winning people in that city for Christ one by one. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your life. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the earth. May God use us. Thank God for his church. Thank God that he's giving us a living savior. Thank God that he's giving us the truth of the word of God that we can proclaim out into our world. And thank God we're on a narrow way. We may see many that seem to be going the other way, opposite of where we're going, but that destination we're going to is eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ with all my brothers and sisters that know him as Savior. When I was in Ivory Coast, we were closing up the teaching of our Bible Institute. They speak French in Ivory Coast, West Africa. And the graduates of the Bible school... Uh, had put together kind of a torch like you have at the, the Olympics. And they lit this thing. It was mostly paper. I was afraid they would burn the church down or something, you know. But the graduates of the college wanted that to be a, a sign or a symbol that as we graduate, they lit the torch and they marched from the platform out the back door saying, we want to take the light of the word of God out to our people in the Ivory Coast. I pray that you will do the same. Thank you, Father that you will build your church 
The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Use us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.